Hello and welcome to Dairy Dialogue number 57. It's our weekly look at some of the biggest stories in the dairy industry, as well as some that aren't necessarily big, but are interesting. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and this week's show is being produced partly in the UK, where I spent the first part of the week, and partly in Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria, where I'm attending Interfood, which also has, fortunately for me, a section called The World of Milk. As can be detected by the husky voice, and by that I don't mean a husky dog, I still have that cold that seems to have taken up residency and refuses to move out in spite of several eviction notices. That's a part of the reason why the podcast is a little shorter this week, as well as the fact that I'm not in my home office, which normally doubles as a studio, as well as a graveyard for thousands of CDs, books and football memorabilia none of which I can ever find. Speaking of a cold, in the third interview that you hear today with the Italian business Emerge, you will hear in the background towards the end of it somebody coughing and it sounds very, very similar to the cough that I've got right now. So maybe that is the person who gave me the cold in the first place. Not that I'll ever be able to track them down or anything. First, I'll let you know who we have for guests this week on the show. All the way from Dubai, we had a chat with Tommy Luca Husum, Senior Product Manager, EMEA for Sweeteners, Stevia, Monk Fruit and Fructose from Titan Lyle about the company's presence at Gulf Food Manufacturing in the UAE last week. And over in the US, Beth Newhart spoke with Molly Pelzer, Midwest Dairy's new CEO. There's also an interview from last week's Forme event, as I just mentioned, and the B2 Cheese part of it, with Lorenzo Di Brino from Emerge, which is an Italian company that helps smaller Italian food businesses find customers. And we also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. And so too, Sofia. I'll probably talk about the event and the city again when I do next week's podcast, and then I'll have to remember what I said this week. The show next week will be totally dedicated to the event, but I do have some interesting interviews for you next week once I'm back in the office, that's for sure. It's actually a very good event with lots for everyone in the food industry. The dairy section included dairy producing companies, as you'd expect, but also had packaging, processing, printing and testing companies, even transportation and even banks were there as well. So more on that next week. Amazingly, for once, it's not raining. In fact, it's rather warm. Of course, probably only to me. There are lots of people around in coats, but of course, I'm in a t-shirt. I've still got a couple of days left, so I'll save any other stories for next week. And now, we should move on to this week's news. And another busy news week it was, or I guess it still is. In the US, DMI has partnered with McDonald's for a new chocolate milk. USP expanded its raw material and high volume customer accounts in Mexico, the US and Asia. Valio is making progress on phasing out fossil fuels. Campbelltown Creamery in Scotland, not a million miles away from where I live, is set to close. Board Beer, which is Ireland's food board, did a survey in the UK and found that UK consumers are concerned about access to Irish dairy products like cheese and butter after Brexit. Glenbeer has published its latest financial results. Onua opened its 30 million euro cheese facility in Spain, and of course there's lots more, all of which you can read on DairyReporter.com. 
And a little heads up for next week, articles we're working on for Monday include GEA launching its new nitrogen freezing pilot plant for bacteria, giving food and dairy processors the opportunity to trial the new technology in their own plants before they invest in production scale equipment. And Arla is investing in mozzarella. Right, now it's time for our first guest. Tommy Luca Husum is the Senior Product Manager, EMEA, for sweeteners, that's stevia, monk fruit and fructose, from Tate and & Lyle. And he was in a room somewhere in Dubai, and I wasn't. But we chatted about the company's presence at Gulf Food Manufacturing in the United Arab Emirates last week. We've been here for quite a range of years. This is actually six years in a row that we are present at Gulf Food. This conference for, conference for us is really the most important one and also because we have our own headquarters here in the region in Dubai where we in the previous years were uh, trying to make a foothold here. It's, it's really changed over the last uh, couple of years where we can see a very big increase in interest in the, the solutions that we are bringing. Traditionally Tate and Lyle within the last 10 years has been very much based on three different platforms. It's been within texturins, it's been within uh, health and wellness and sweetness and it is also within those three platforms that we have built our bases and now lately in this region this focus has changed a lot into sugar and calorie reduction and a lot about better for you type of products here we're talking about fiber enrichment protein enrichment but there's also an increasing amount of interest in how you can do food solutions, so that means focus on stabilizing system textures, and that that's really where we are where we are building our capabilities and our competence and our reputations in this region. Are there any different trends that you're seeing in the Middle East at the moment compared to other regions? So when we were here last year, the the upcoming trend was sugar and calorie reduction. Interestingly at that point in time compared to the other regions. This region is much more developed into looking for plant-based sweetness in that state. What we have in our portfolio is sweetness like stevia. Disproportionately to the, to the Western markets where it has for many years been the artificial sweetness and only slowly growing in stevia, this region has really, really tacked along on, on the stevia part. In the last year, there's been a further increased interest, uh, increasing interest in uh, looking at the food formulations. So not just taking sugar and calories out, but also looking at how can we then rebuild those formulations to bring uh, less fat, and more fibers, rich so fibers and proteins. And that that's really where we are seeing all the interest coming now. Even actually predominantly in the in the dairy segment, but also across. Uh, the other food categories where we're present. Is the increase in plant-based interest that we're seeing across the world being reflected in that region? It, it's not the major trend out here yet. We, we've, we do see that, we do get questions. I and mean, if you look through the data from Mintel, you would find that in, specifically in the dairy segment that within the last year, in terms of absolute uh, launches, it's around, if you look just at vegetarian, it's about 15% of the launches. Uh, vegan is much less, 4%, and dairy-free is only about 3% of the markets now. So, so those products are in the market. They're slowly growing in terms of interest from the consumer, but it, it's not as pronounced here yet. 
personally and we as a team has no doubt that they will come but it seems to be with a smaller delay compared to the rest of the European market. Obviously when it comes to formulating products in the Middle East there are other challenges one of them of course being the heat. How do you address the challenges that are different there? The products we provide to specifically the dairy industries is all about first of all building back the texture and looking at uh, how can we mimic the known texture of the products that, for I mean, take some examples from Greek yogurt, right? If you if you if you have a traditional Greek yogurt, what we do is take out the fat and then replace that bulkiness. We we're not that much into long-term stability. That's that's driven more by uh, other technologies. For us, it's more about giving the right mouthfeel, the right texture, and and as I said before, also also enriching the products that are available on shelves. And are there any other challenges in the regional market there? Yeah, the, the challenges that comes is more or less a replicate of what we've seen in the in the central western world right so so there is a increased focus on providing better for you type of products to the market the consumer here starts having more focus about what they eat um, you get an increasing amount of consumers that actually looks at the ingredient list that means that clean label is not a big challenge yet but the consumers are increasingly looking for cleaner labels. So it's all about how can you simplify uh, the form? How can you avoid that, have a long list of ingredients, but make the same type of products with a much shorter span of ingredients. Have you launched any products recently in that region to respond to the dairy and dairy alternative space? Where we last year were really high on, on sugar replacers. This year, what we've been bringing to the, to the gold food is dairy products that has been stabilized and built with uh, what we call functional systems. One of the showcases we have here is in a Greek type of yogurt uh, where we're using a product uh, that's called Hermotion. It has, it has an abbreviation which is G-S-Y-O-O-P which means Greek style yogurt on a pectin which is German but without pectin, right? And, and what that does is really that it can take out the fat from the product. So you, you first of all get from the traditional around 10, 12 grams of fat per 100 grams. But by doing so, you are, uh, with, with this formulation, you're also adding in protein and, and getting the same structure, same texture, and a protein-enriched uh, product for the market. So that's one of the newer products we are showing here at the, the fair in dairy products. Was that a launch that's a worldwide product or is it specific to that region? No, it is a worldwide product, but, but it, we, we do actually tend to see the interest for it in this region now here. Again, that is also sort of a delayed reaction to compare to, to what we've seen in the European Western market, but, but the focus is all around here. And you, you could even say, you could even choose to say that, that those type of formulations and reformulations has already been made in the other regions. Now it's becoming a trend here in this region. How do you work with manufacturers in that Middle East region? Obviously, you said you have an office in Dubai. That's a, a big, a big help, I imagine. Yeah, when we started out here uh, these five, six years ago, really putting the effort in the region, we were literally four people in the in the office. We have four times as many people just in the office now. We are building our capabilities and our competence in the region. Additionally, we have an office and a, and a technical facility also in South Africa to manage also the uh, sub-Saharan issues. Specifically around Dubai, uh, we have increased our 
our presence with, with as I said, people, but it's more about bringing in the right competences to do full formulation uh, support to our customers. We've added a laboratory in Dubai uh, that can do bench top type of uh, support for our customers. And we have put in a capital investment for a pilot plant that will be fully functioning within the next year. So obviously we're doing that not just to be able to support our customers, but also because we have gained quite a lot of space in this territory after and disproportionately grown out of, out of the market growth. Uh, obviously because what we're bringing to the table here is what the market is looking for. We do not uh, rely on selling single ingredients. We uh, rely on coming to the customers with full solutions and that's where I see us being very, very strong and growing rapidly the last couple of years. I, I imagine it also makes a big difference that you're not having to deal with people remotely to have that presence in the area must be uh, a good a positive thing for your customers. Yeah, that's what we're seeing. I, I think if you were, if you, if you took the time back three, four years ago when we were here, um, we were spending a lot of time to convince customers about what we were doing and why we should be working with, with customers. Today, that's not needed anymore. We've this year actually our booth here at Gold Food is, is significantly larger than last year because we were running out of space. That was a good investment. It has been a very, very busy week. So we see the the response from the market. It's definitely justified what we've done, and we see how investing in the right resources and the right, right capabilities here, combined with our our product solutions, is really what the market was needing. And and where do you go from here? What does the future hold in the region? I think we will start seeing some of the trends coming in, like we have seen from Europe. So. All the, the emerging products that we saw last couple of years in, in the Europe will come here. So to your point and your question up front, the, um, the non-dairy uh, non based dairy products, so, so on the plant-based dairy products, but that will grow. There's a certain part of the region here that's already uh, applying uh, sugar tax, sin taxes across some of the food categories. What we typically see when that happens is that even in the categories not affected by the, the taxes. There is a tendency to try to prepare for in case a, a tax or, or a change in the regulatory uh, landscape is coming. We do already work on that. We will, we will see an increasing amount of requests for sugar replacement, for fat replacement, protein enrichments, and, and fiber enrichments is a little bit slower, but I think that comes over the next couple of years also. Next, it's over to the US, where our reporter Beth Newhart chats with the new CEO of Midwest Dairy, Molly Pelzer. Well, I have a 35-year history with the Dairy Checkoff, and I'm certainly proud and humbled to accept the role as CEO of Midwest Dairy. I'm a registered dietitian, uh, so my Work in the past has been talking about the unique health benefits and the nutrition that dairy offers, uh, along with the real enjoyment, the foodie part. But my focus as CEO will be to take those attributes as well as others and work with and through partners to share more about the dairy story, including how milk is local and the impact we are having in communities, as well as more of the story of how we're responsibly produced. So do you think that this felt like a natural next step in your career, given all of your experience within dairy and with Midwest Dairy? 
you know, again, I, I'm just humbled to be tapped to serve. Uh, Midwest Area is a fantastic organization. Our strength is definitely in our wonderful staff and the dairy farmers that we represent. The vision and mission of Midwest Dairy will stay the same. We are all about bringing dairy to life and giving consumers an excellent dairy experience. And we do this through two main focus areas, to increase trust and to increase sales. And when we think about sales, we think about retailers, that would be grocery stores, convenience stores, and even gas stations, and, and schools as well with school meals. And then to increase trust working with those partners, but also adding partners uh, for healthcare professionals and fitness professionals who are guiding consumers in their food choices more and more these days. So what would you say are the main challenges facing dairy farmers and producers right now? And you know, how are you going to tackle those challenges and, and deal with them in this role as CEO? Well, these are definitely challenging times for the dairy industry, and they've been sustained challenges. We're seeing glimpses of improvement that we hope will come to realization uh, soon and, and be longstanding as well. Uh, we will continue our commitment to continuous improvement. Um, that's been a long history here at Midwest Dairy. We want to generate a strong return on investment for our dairy farmers. Every one of our staff is passionate about working for dairy farmers and representing dairy products. And we're really focused on building those collaborations with partners um, that can help us stay relevant to consumers and fuel innovation that helps build the sales and trust that we spoke about. You know, dairy is so versatile. There's so many different uses for it, and we just need to stay relevant to our consumers. Consumers are eating on the go and making food choices on the go, and anything we can do to um, change that will be very, very helpful for our dairy farm families building that sales and trust. These are challenging times for dairy, and I think the distinguishing hallmark this time has been the sustained number of years. We're probably going into year four or five um, of the challenging times. So again, our staff is digging deep. We're trying to be innovative, to think differently. Um, one of the examples I might use is dairy at school. You know, when you think about dairy at school, maybe the first thing that pops into your mind is that carton of milk. Well, what can we do beyond that carton of milk at schools? Uh, we're experimenting with smooth and yogurt parfaits and coffee bars at schools as well. So staying true to dairy, but thinking differently about dairy to capture the attention of today's student. Youth is definitely an area um, that Midwest Dairy is excited about. They're 100% of our future consumers is what we like to say. Um, we had a report come out from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation just two weeks ago. It was done in partnership with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, the Academy of Pediatrics, and the American Heart Association that talked about the importance of milk for youth to get the bone development and the good health that they need. So that was an exciting time to see the research that dairy farmers have invested in on nutrition science um, come out to play. But again, leaning back into thinking differently about dairy, uh, we have placed 16 grants with high schools across our 10-state region offering coffee bars, and we've seen a 40,000 incremental pounds of milk sold uh, through those coffee bar operations. So that's very exciting to us. Uh, we often talk about it being flavored milk, but this time it's flavored with coffee. So students are definitely looking for those different choices. We see coffee shops all over, and now they can get it at school, something healthy and oftentimes with a school breakfast as well. Out of the, um, the 10 states, right, that you represent, um, do, do any of them stand out as being like a leader in um, 
you know, the U.S. dairy recently or any of them like lagging behind their expectations of where they should be? So in our in our area with Midwest Dairy, we have um, one organization. So we take the strengths of all the states um, and we have the opportunities in other states. You know, oftentimes we say uh, we are going to invest for our dairy farmers where the people are, not where the cows are. And it's been a fantastic collaboration since two, 2000. And we're excited to represent all of our dairy farmers and all the dairy farm families uh, and taking their message from the farm um, out to where people live. And finally this week, we go back to Italy for an interview with Emerge, an Italian company that helps food companies connect to those interested in purchasing their products. And at the Forme Festival, we talked to Emerge's co-founder and CEO, Lorenzo De Brino. Can you just tell me a bit first about what Emerge is and how yeah. it works? Yeah, Emerge is a food platform. Uh, we discover all the Italian producers. We are going to uh, look for the best Italian producers. And we put these producers online for national and international buyers. So we help uh, these two uh, entities to get in touch to merge. Okay, and, and so like, you go to events and you, how, how, does, how do you get their name out to the yeah. people? Uh, we basically go uh, on events such as this one, b cheese we go to other fairs, we go directly to the producers to understand how they produce, uh, which is the particularly and uh, what is special for that producer, and uh, we bring it online. So buyer really can have that clue info that make, uh, make the decision to choose one producer uh, despite uh, one other. So you're, you're kind of like a bridge between, between producers and other companies? Yeah, exactly. We help buyers uh, find and discover. And uh, on the platform they can enter, they can uh, start a discovery process, they can save the producer the product, the product that they want, and based on their needs, they find something always deeper. And at the end, they can directly get in contact. We are not in the middle. We can help, but we are not there uh, in, the first in the first place. So you're just really to promote yeah. and to get them into a different area? Yeah, 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 this is a showcase for Italian producers. We want to help them, we want to have, help all the Italian food system to show off and uh, to be discovered by international buyers because there is so much value and that we want to bring it online. And, and the reason for you being there is uh, what, what's to stop a company from finding their own? How do you, how do you sort of help the process or how do you make it? better yeah producers always ask us for additional services because maybe a producer has a great product uh, but want uh, to work on the brand or work to work on uh, the export um, competencies uh, know-how and so we help on different uh, kind of uh, with different kind of services uh, this producer to make the step you know to go online one uh, big example is our platform Semina uh, it's called Semina Feed the Growth, and uh, it's uh, the first platform to uh, in, uh, to help producer fundraising uh, in equity crowdfunding here in Italy. And uh, we're launching right now the first edition, and uh, a lot of producers want to fund uh, to do fundraising uh, with their clients, with their suppliers, uh, directly on the market to scale, to go in on international markets to. 
uh, start a new product or something new, right. something better. And, and are you a company yourself or are you a part of like a government project? No, we are a private company and uh, we, we are always open to partnership uh, and uh, we try to cooperate with all the players in the market because uh, bring Italian Food Online, it's a huge project and uh, we absolutely need and want to do it with the other player on the market. Uh, we have to do it for, for the country. <laughs> right. and, and how do you, obviously you're a business, how do you make your money out yeah. of this? Our, um, our business model, the, the first business model is to propose uh, producers a premium account. It's a, it's a monthly subscription and they have uh, some uh, discounts and some premium services to scale it up. So if they want to grow with speed, with uh, more speed, uh, they pay the premium and uh, we have them uh, to, to grow, okay. uh, to grow the, the business. Right. And is it just within Italy or you do, like you're trying to expand outside of Italy as well? Uh, right now we are focused on Italian producer because it's a huge deal and uh, on uh, Italian international buyers. We want to scale a lot on international buyers and next probably we will move to other countries finding uh, new producers, right. uh, country by country. But, but for the, the people that sign up with you, you're, you're trying to sell their products outside of Italy as well as inside Italy? Yeah, 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 absolutely. We, we don't sell, we propose to buyers yeah. and uh, we are trying, uh, we are working a lot on export, absolutely. So uh, Italian market, uh, uh, has potential, but uh, anything uh, despite what's, what, what's uh, out of the country. So uh, foreign markets are surely the, the best choice for our producers. Yeah. Seems like there's plenty of potential because there's lots of, <laughs> especially with so many startups now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we, we also working with a lot of startups because bring something new and innovative on the market it's not only um, it's not only building a a, a, comp, um, a platform, a digital platform. It also has all the services around and all the ecosystem that help you really to grow uh, with the right help and with the right uh, with the right kind of effort. And now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with INTL FC Stone's Liam Fenton. Butter remained relatively stable again this week as buyers continue to lend support and bears looking at healthy milk supply from the likes of France to justify their various views. Uh, Nove deck butter was the same as last week really around the 3700 level. Uh, quarter one it's up about maybe 25 euros, 37.25 Quarter two, uh, same as quarter three, was flat on the week, uh, around 37.60 and 38.25 respectively. Skimmel powder, on the other hand, caught people unawares, um, where it was up about 100 euros a ton all along the curve. While the view generally in the market is bullish for skimmel powder, the market was probably caught by surprise with the extent of the move this week. The surprise move was, was kicked off with the GDT, where skimmel powder was up just under 7% in, a, in, in an overall bullish auction. This auction is generally seen as a good barometer of Asian and Middle East demand and confirmed the continuation of the, pro the protein demand from these regions. Um, this is continuing to also squeeze European stocks as record exports continue. Also, the mood from the US, I suppose, since Friday uh, in the futures market has been bullish for non-fat. Uh, Novdex Gimmel powder was up from 24.40 last week to 2,500. Quarter one was up about 110 euros to 25.50. 
quarter two up around 90 euros to 25.60 level and quarter three was also up around 100 euros to 25.70. Whey is experiencing some of this bullishness up about 25 euros maybe on the week to the 7.85 level. Okay, thanks Liam. We'll talk to you again next week when hopefully for a change we'll both be in the same time zone. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's all we have time for this week, mainly because the podcast usually takes a few hours and I don't have that luxury while I'm on the road. Next week we'll have a look back at the Interfood event here in Bulgaria, including interviews with one of the organisers, a packaging company, a cheese producer, a cream cheese alternative maker and a Bulgarian yoghurt maker who uses buffalo milk. And in the works for the following week are interviews with DSM, Tetra Pak and one about cheese tourism. And that means we've got lots to look forward to on the next couple of podcasts. So, until next time, have a great week and thanks for listening.